ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors. It is a new day, Tuesday, February 6th. On the show, excited about today's program. We are going to be talking some East Carolina basketball, some big picture discussion, and also some uh, some recap of the weekend at Charlotte. Kaysen Romaley, who was uh, there for Hoist the Colors, along with myself, Philip Pilkington for 94.3 The Game, was there as well. We'll recap that game, that environment, and more as Kaysen joins us in studio. We'll also talk about how the Pirates can potentially turn their season around, and then Kind of some big picture talk about where the program goes from here as we've kind of reached a little bit of a, some time off in the schedule. We'll discuss that and more. We are going to start today with our interview with Cliff Godwin. What's going to happen is every Monday morning, Patrick Johnson and I will catch up with Cliff Godwin. Usually we will have it through video. This week we had it over the phone, and so we'll put that up on our, our YouTube page here shortly. With a graphic, you can see hear that here shortly. We're going to play about 20 minutes of the 25-minute interview. We talked about uh, several things, of course, position battles this past weekend, scrimmage, and more. So we're going to play that, and then we'll come back. We'll talk some basketball as well. So, again, this will be a weekly deal. We'll talk with Cliff Goblin every Monday, and it'll air on the Patrick Johnson Show as well as Hoist the Colors. Now we're going to have players on the baseball team. Yesterday we had Cam Clonch and Jacob Starlin in studio. We're going to have also Justin Wilcox and Trey Savage uh, on the program, as well as Carter Cunningham, those five guys kind of throughout the year between myself and Patrick Johnson show. So throughout the year we'll air some of these Cliff Galvin interviews, uh, you know, fully on my show, fully on Patrick's show. It'll just kind of depend on what our schedule looks like. But here's the majority of our interview on Monday with Cliff Goblin recapping this past weekend scrimmage, looking ahead to the season. Every week we're going to be visiting with Cliff Godwin during the baseball season. Steve and I go alongside Patrick Johnson here. Coach is always gracious with his time, and we're certainly excited about ECU baseball right around the corner. All right, Coach Godwin joining uh, Steve and I go and myself. Uh, Coach, great to see you. You look fantastic, and uh, certainly I know the excitement's building a couple weeks away from first pitch. It is. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys and all the uh, coverage you do for ECU, but specifically baseball. Um, even when Patrick refers to it as football, all good. So, uh, <laughs> Patrick, I had to throw that in there, man. I love you, man. I appreciate it. Well, coach, you and I go back a long way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I have such admiration for what you've done, you know, 10 years. Boy, I tell you, you talk about, uh, the interest in the program, the coverage of the program. It's really unprecedented. How has the program evolved in your mind in 10 years? Oh man, it's, uh, it's come a long way. And I'm not saying that because I've been here for 10 years, but you, you go from not having a hitting indoor, not having a pitching indoor, not having a really nice video board. Um, so the facilities have actually improved a lot, but just, you know, the first year we just survived. We had really tough kids and, um, we worked them really hard. We won 40 games, uh, won the conference tournament by a sure grit, in my opinion. Um, Jeff and I always talk about that's probably 
going to be the best coaching job that we ever have done here, even when we do go to Omaha and compete for a national championship. I know people would disagree, but just thought those kids really bought in and were really tough. You could travel 27 at the time. We traveled 26 because that's the number of healthy players that we had on that team to, you know, hosting three regionals in a row and going to super regionals and, of course, being close and, um, what our guys have done in the classroom, um, having a 3.4 team GPR higher for six and a half years. And it's hard to be consistent in life in anything, but especially in college athletics with the way the <laughs> landscape is today, as you guys, uh, yeah. talk about portal and NIL stuff. I, I've just been proud of the group that we've had from our coaching staff, our support staff, our players, what they've continued to just hold a very high standard to. I mean, everybody expects us to win, which makes it harder, which is fine with me, but our players and our coaches have done a really good job. Coach Cliff Godwin is with us before uh, Stephen really digs in on you here, Coach. Uh, I wanted to uh, have you maybe speak about Jeff Palumbo. I'm glad you mentioned him. He's obviously been with you every step of this decade journey. Yeah, um, you know, going into last year, we had Zach Womack, and unfortunately what happened with him, he's no longer with us. And so Jeff and I have been here since day one, you know, the summer of 2014. And Jeff's a unbelievable person, number one, great recruiter, great coach. Um, normally when you're a recruiting coordinator at times, they're not the best coaches, but Jeff's got uh, the best of both worlds. He could have gone elsewhere and been a head coach, but he loves it here. He wants to see this thing through as, as I do. And his family loves Greenville. And, um, obviously with all the sports that his kids play, it's a very, uh, good place to <laughs> raise a family. And, um, we definitely would not have had the success we've had here without a guy like Jeff Palumbo being on the staff. Coach, less than two weeks till first pitch. Uh, it's coming up quickly, but you guys have clearly been putting in a lot of work and a, a few scrimmage weekends down. What, what have you liked? What, have you, what do you want to see your team improve upon as, as uh, the opener nears? Well, I thought you were going to hit me with a starting rotation to start with. So. <laughs> it, it, it's coming. I, I know it's coming. I know you're trying to hold it back, which you're probably going to get your feelings hurt as you do That's all. That's fine. At, <laughs> as you do. Wait a minute. Uh, Whoa, <laughs> Coach. You're going to hurt our feet. Come on. Hurt our feet. Yeah, hey, we're used Come to it. We're used we're, to it. Uh, yeah. Well, it hurt his feelings because, I mean, he's already got on all his message boards and stuff who he's projecting. So I'm sure, but it's part of the job. Okay. But, um, <laughs> that's right. That pays the bills, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you keep uh, doing that. But, um, I, I would think I'd like to see our pitching staff throw a few more strikes and then not necessarily the guys that are the main players on the position player side, but, we just need to clean up some things defensively for some guys that, hey, you guys know you're a hamstring away or a wrist injury away of somebody having to play that maybe you didn't expect to be out there on opening day. So um, th- those are the things I want to see. And then for our guys to stay hungry, we, it's been a unique preseason from the standpoint we've been on the field a lot. And so I think it can become monotonous when you've had really good weather and the guys are ready to go and play somebody different. But to really – uh you know, take these days, especially Tuesday, Wednesday practices, which are more um, cleaning up, you know, bunt defenses, first and thirds, pick off, stuff like that to to be engaged in those practices and not just try to do it in scrimmages. So, Coach, I was out there Sunday, uh, you know, seven inning scrimmage. I, I couldn't help but notice Riley Johnson looked great. I, I know he's kind of battled a, a shoulder for a while now, just – 
you know, his impact, and I know he means a lot to your to your roster, to your team. Can you just talk about his progression and, you know, his health right now? Man, I, I'm so proud of Riley. And, and you got, I mean, he's wearing basically double shoulder, shoulder braces on both shoulders so that they don't just slip out. So you talk about somebody that is uh, really tough mentally and physically. We've tried to uh, protect him as much as we can, but of course he wants to go out there and play, which hey, we want him to play too, but we, we got to manage it to a certain level throughout the week of practices. And he's been the best assistant coach for Bristol Carter. And I tell Bristol all the time, man, for a guy that plays your same position and um, was hurt in the fall, stands out there next to you. Uh, he's a tremendous asset. Riley's going to play. If he's healthy, he's going to play. Um, how it's going to look, I don't know, <laughs> but he's going to play for sure. And um, I'm just so proud of the way he has come out. But, Man, he, he took over the game yesterday. I know his team didn't win, but for the guy on that team, man, he was just, you know, putting together unbelievable bats. It's a home run, still bases, you know, plays great defense. Um, just great to see him out there. And I was going to ask too, the, you know, with the outfield situation and then Carter, you know, Cunningham was getting some reps and left field made a great catch against the wall. I know he's played some first base as well. So it, you know, moving him to first a little bit, is that just a, a chance to kind of increase the flexibility uh, and the options for you guys? For sure. I mean, you know, the outfield is pretty loaded. So um, in first base is uh, a constant competition. Um, I thought Carter is kind of weird. I had a conversation with him this week. And uh, last year when we put him over there, I was like, hey, man, you, you've played first base before. It's like riding a bike, and he didn't put a lot of pressure on himself. Well, now since he's worked at it, of course, he's a great kid, so he's conscientious about the way he looks and if he's making every play. And I felt like he's played tight at first base defensively. And I was like, hey, man, I need you to go have fun. I need you to go out there and just play first base. And, yeah, you and Coach Palumbo work on some things, but when the game happens, just go out there and play. Let your natural instincts take over. But I've been playing him at least one day in the outfield on scrimmage weekends just to, to keep him fresh out there as well. Um, he's one of our best defensive outfielders. So, you know, if he starts at first base on opening day, you might see him end up in left field if we have a lead and somebody else, you know, Cam Clonch or Chaz might be over there, but Chaz also might be DH. And so, but Clonch has done a really good job um, defensively in the preseason and put together some really tough at bats. So, that's going to be the unique thing about this team, in my opinion. It's the deepest position player group that we've ever had here. Um, so just getting guys in roles, but also you guys know how I like to utilize the bench because I want guys to get in there because we're not just preparing for the first game. We're pre- preparing for down the season. And, um, you know, you definitely are going to have some guys that get nicked up and dinged up during the season. So for other guys to be able to go in there and you not miss a beat. Pirate uh, baseball coach Cliff Godwin joining Steve and I go and myself here as we uh, talk uh, ECU baseball with him. We'll do it every week and uh, looking forward to, uh, to having coach. Uh, you know, I, I look at uh, in the middle of the, if I know everybody's talking about the corners in the outfield, but up the middle in the infield, you do have Starling. So that's a little bit of a stalwart. Are you looking for more of a, a leadership role out of him? And then, you know, shortstop seems like that could be an open position. There's competition. I know there's competition everywhere, but uh You've got Marini. Who else could maybe shift over and play short for you? Well, the first part of your question, Starling has hey, taken on more of a leadership role. That's the thing I've been most impressed with him is 
you know, he's not been one that has always loved practice. And, and this fall, I mean, he, he just got after it. And he's done that in the spring. I actually didn't play on Friday because he popped a blister on his big toe and couldn't go on Friday, but just hit on Saturday and then played yesterday. But um, he showed up every day. He's helped the younger guys. Uh, Joey's our starting shortstop. So yeah. just so I, I will get I go out with that. But the thing I, I have been most impressed with Joey is uh, that he's better this year. And a lot has to do with, of course, Jeff working with him, but also he played shortstop last year. Right. So I've said this, and, and this isn't a knock against Ryder Giles. I, I love Ryder, but, you know, Ryder would have played some last year if he had stayed here. And that would have probably impacted Joey's development in a negative way. Right. Joey having to go out there and just do it um, has made him better. His range is better. His arm's better. Um, he's more confident out there. So he's our starting shortstop. Um, Nate Chrisman would be a guy that can play anywhere uh-huh. on the field. Um, Dixon Williams can play short. Um, I feel confident about that with his athleticism. Um, and then Nick Parham. Played great defense on Saturday, and then he looked like a freshman yesterday. So, uh, um, which he's a great kid. He's going to continue to get better. But those are kind of your options there um, at shortstop. A couple weeks ago, in the, one of the scrimmages, Parker Bird gets a base hit. That had to be, I mean, kind of a lump in your throat moment. I know it was huge for him and, and huge for the team. Yeah, well, Parker kind of big league me. I gave him a hard time. I was like, you know, giving him knuckles when he, you know, I mean, just. Parker expected he was going to do that at some point in time. So that was cool. Um, he, he's just been such an inspiration. I, I called his dad on last Sunday after it happened and he, he's like, Hey, do you, do you know what hat you had on today? And I said, I do. Um, it's the, the Parker bird patch hat that, you know, I've got it sit in my office and for whatever reason, I picked it up last Sunday morning and just put it on and said, I'm going to wear that out there to practice and, just a great, cool moment. Um, Parker spoke at his church a couple weeks ago in Laurenburg, and five people got saved. Uh, he's just been such an inspiration to so many people, and we're so happy he's a part of our group. You know, what's amazing is, I mean, he gets that hit. Everybody knows his story. I mean, my gosh, what an athlete. What a competitor. <laughs> That's What he did is kind of unprecedented in baseball, I, I have to imagine. It is, um, and this is coming from Parker, so you can fact check Parker, but there's never been a Division One baseball player playing a game that had a prosthetic, and Parker Bird's going to do that. Um, wow. He's going to get in a bat this spring at some point in time. Um, I wish I could tell everybody exactly what game, <laughs> what date, and all that stuff. Right. I can't, so I guess you just have to come to all the home games. Stay you know, tuned. Stay tuned, but yeah. – uh, he works his tail off every single day, and and I treat him just like one of our players because that's how he wants to be treated. Uh, he doesn't get any special treatment, and he just shows up and goes to practice like everybody else does. I, before I go again, hammers you with uh, questions about the rotation, Coach. Uh, you talked about the church visit and the speech and five saved, and then uh, there was something recently before the banquet, baptism on field uh, there. Um Remarkable stuff, and it, it just seems like this group uh, is incredibly close. But take us through that, where even you got baptized again that day. I I, I did. Um, well, let me preface anything because there's been some you know negative feedback from people that are not Christians, and that's their priority. But um, number one, um, I don't make our kids get baptized. I don't make them go to sport works. Uh, we have 
um, an open door policy from the standpoint is we provide them an opportunity if they want to grow in their faith. They can do that on Mon- Monday night with our Sport Works group, which is Webb Tindall and uh, Jamin Shelby. Um, not every one of our players attend. Coach Godwin's not going to write a lineup because you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Um, but it is an opportunity for our guys to grow that want to. So Sport Works, um, with their fellowship group asked if anybody wanted to be baptized. So I think it was 10 guys that wanted to. And, um, I had been going to open door church and I felt like God put on my heart that I want to get baptized, but I didn't really want to do it and make it a big spectacle because I wanted it to be my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not coach Godwin's getting baptized at open door. So Blake and I were in church like three Sundays ago and, um, I knew the guys were getting baptized and I just tapped Blake on the knee and I said, Hey man, I want, I want to get baptized on the field too. And, um, so he said, who do you want to get baptized you? And I said, Mike, Amen, um, huh. because he's been such a spiritual leader for me and our players other than Carter Cunningham, because Blake told him, not even me, but our players didn't even know I was getting baptized that morning. And I say all that because, you know, people are so quick to judge and think coach Godwin's, uh, you know, dictator. Um, but right. I, I've done a better job of it's free will for our guys. And, um, and so our guys did it. The parents got to watch them because it was the night of the banquet or the morning leading into the banquet. So it was one of the coolest things I've ever been associated with. And, um, so thankful that our guys, some of our guys wanted to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Awesome stuff, uh, Cliff Galvin and, uh, the baseball team, uh, with all that stuff. Cliff joining us. He'll join us every Monday, 10 a.m. throughout the season. All right. So now I got to hit you with the rotation, coach. <laughs> At least I'll try. Um, all right. So I, I know. You're going to put Savage in there, I go. You think he's going to be in the rotation? I, I feel like he's Savage. I mean, <laughs> he's got to earn it, coach, but I feel like he'll be in there. Obviously, Zach Root, you know, has tremendous upside. Just, you know, your, your thoughts on kind of who's competing there in the rotation at this point with, uh, you know, the season closing in. Well, you Savage and Root are definitely going to be in there, at least at the beginning. Um, they've earned that. And, um, you know, Jake Hunter's an option. Um, Shinkman's an option. Jaden Winter's an option. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we're going to have some bullpen depth as well. So um, we're still in the process of figuring out who that Sunday starter is going to be. Uh, we just need our guys to to know that, the best thing about the pitching staff, and AK and I were talking about it yesterday after the scrimmage, is there's versatility. So if Jaden Winters in the bullpen early in the year, we still feel like he could start if we needed it to at some point in time, whether it be a midweek game or a Sunday game. And same thing with Jay Hunter, same thing with Shankman. Um, you know, I feel like Ethan Norby is going to start out in the bullpen. Eric Ritchie is going to start out in the bullpen. Um, those guys, Chris Kaler could start. Um, but he's probably going to be in the bullpen as well. Um, and Drew Bryan's done a really good job. He pitched great yesterday, but he's probably going to be in the bullpen as well. So, um, but we definitely have a lot of options, guys that can be in different roles uh, throughout the season. And take us through the, maybe the conversations with Wyatt Lunch from Singman, who was such a weapon, middle relief, could close out games, but he, I've heard he's pitched pretty well this preseason, so it's got to be tempting to to give him a shot at the rotation too, right? And just what are those conversations like behind the scenes? Well, AK has a lot of them, um, but we're going to meet next Monday when we uh, solidify who's going to be the third guy and then talk to those guys. I think communication is just really key. And it's not that, you know, Sheikman's not the guy. It's not like he didn't pitch good. It's just we need some veteran experience in that bullpen. Um open a weekend. I mean, you guys know this, but 
every first game of the year. It doesn't matter who you play. It's normally a tight game. Last year, we're down 4 nothing in that first game against George Washington and of a doubleheader. In the second game, we're down 2 nothing. So you got to make sure you got guys, horses in the bullpen that can either keep your lead or um, keep them there so we can get some time to score some runs. And then I wanted to, to hit, too, on just the bullpen. It feels like, Coach, you'll have maybe a little bit more left-handed options as well, bringing in Groller from Seton Hall and just, you know, some some younger guys. So how do you kind of feel about having versatility, righties and lefties? And is there maybe a, a guy or two under the radar that has pitched pretty well this this preseason that, you know, has started to earn you guys' trust a little bit? Well, I think definitely we have more versatility than we've had in the past. Um, some of it's inexperienced, so it's going to be crucial on our end to kind of spoon feed some, spoon feed some of these guys, uh, especially the young guys. Just get them on the field, let them have some success, get them out of the game. They feel good about themselves and not let them kind of create their own jam. Um, there's a lot of guys that could, could be that. I don't want to hit all of them. I, I think JD Little, um, who's a freshman lefty could, really help us out in short stance because it's really funky. It's not a comfortable at bat. Corey Costello um, as well. Um, Jackson DiLorenzo, I'm just going to call him D'Lo, so I'm just going to throw that out there. But he's been a lot better in the spring. He looks the part. He's got good stuff. AK's taught him a cutter, um, which getting guys off the fastball. But um, I like him and his mentality to this point. And, uh, of course, I've mentioned some of the other guys already. So there'll be a lot of options. And we need guys to stay hungry and be patient because, you know, uh, I think we've got a really good pitching staff. All right, there is Cliff Goblin coming, uh, you know, again, our conversation on Monday. We'll have that each and every Monday going forward, Patrick Johnson and myself. And, uh, there's the majority of that conversation. You can hear also the, uh, the final few minutes replayed on the Patrick Johnson show. If you're interested in that from last night, check it out. YouTube also the IBX media app and uh, here it is in entirety but got about 20 of the 25 minutes there with cliff galvin a few takeaways the pitching rotation we know trey savage going to be in there we know zach root going to be in there it sounds like jake hunter may have the inside track to be in the sunday guy but wyatt lunzer chinkman who of course has been kind of a bullpen closer slash long reliever slash can do a little bit of everything he's in the mix as well and then uh, Chris Kaler, Jaden Winter started Sunday. They are possibilities, but more than likely to start in the bullpen. And then we'll have to see if, you know, ECU in the past has treated these midweek games as let's see what's left over from the weekend, and then we'll approach the midweek game there. But maybe they try to, to find a way to have a somewhat designated midweek starter just because of the, the importance of those games from an RPI perspective as much as possible. So we will see. About that going forward, uh, obviously the the situation in the outfield. We talked about Carter Cunningham's versatility, and also Riley Johnson. It sounds like he's just going to have to manage his shoulders. He has you know had continual problems there, but if he plays like he did Sunday, you want to try to find him away onto the field with a home run, stellar defense, speed, I and mean, he does a little bit of everything. So those are a couple of takeaways. Of course, you guys can go back and listen to the full interview again, Patrick Johnson show or the twenty minute version here on the Hoist the Colors radio program. All right, let's get a break in. We'll shift gears. We're going to talk some pirate basketball after the break. Casey Romelli is going to join us shortly, our basketball insider on HDC. We're going to look at what has gone wrong to this point in the basketball season, what has gone right, 
And then how can the Pirates put together a successful second half of the season uh, as part of conference play, I should say, and then we'll get into that and more on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday, February 6th. It is Super Bowl week, by the way. We'll preview the big game later this week. Bobby Harbour joins us tomorrow. Joe Sampson on Friday. We'll have Scooter Rogers, Scott Rogers, play-by-play voice of ECU baseball on the show Thursday. Not even the train could keep Kaysen Romaley from talking ECU basketball as he – you just plowed through it, right, to make your way to the studio? I tried to plow through it. And it was even worse because it was on uh, 14th, train crosses by, and then someone says to turn left right after the train. So I'm just sitting on the train track for like probably 30 uh, seconds, and I'm like – that's like a very nerve-wracking That's situation. That's the, so. the worst situation. But we made it here, so it's all good. Well, glad you made it. Uh, Casey Romaley, Philip Pilkington is behind the glass. We were all on press row, or I guess a... Was it press row? It was like the backup press row. Make sure By the way, did you, Philip, did you see the actual press row? It was like part of the seats. It was interesting. Yeah, that was weird. You know what, the guys in front of us? Yeah, so we, we got there two and a half hours early. And we sat there in the actual seats, and we were kicked out because we weren't covering Charlotte. But uh, I honestly think our area above that was better. But it was just a weird setup. Press row was part of the actual seats, the chairback seats. So it was interesting. It was weird. It was like the like we're normally where the ADA seats would be. Exactly. Was, the weird part was there was constantly somebody standing behind us too. Like uh, I'm not usually not weird people behind me. It's like one of these drunk college kids that was just flipping us off and saying you guys stink and we're here and pour beer on our head and ruin our laptops or something. Y'all were wearing official ECU logos. Y'all got booed, right? Yeah, I, yeah, Scooter and I got booed. But, hey, this is the first time I've been booed since high school. I kind of liked it. They're ready for this to be a rivalry. I respect their uh, passion. I respect it 100% too, but I remember. But for every event that I've covered for ECU, excluding one, the one time I ever wore ECU colors was Cincinnati last year after the passing of Jeff Charles. That's the one time I wore a purple shirt. Didn't have ECU logo on it. It was a purple shirt because it's always been just enamored in me from you a year Gotta be ago. neutral, man. He's always told me to be neutral, so I've, I'm always wearing the opposite colors. I was wearing purple, like a purple uh, Johnny O shirt on Saturday. So, like, I, I could roll in there in a whiteout in a white shirt. I almost accidentally wore a white shirt, so I, uh, <clears throat> so I ended up wearing purple. But I did not get booed because I didn't have an ECU logo on. But it's just part of the media etiquette, you know. But although I'm officially partnered now with the ECU Sports Network, I do wear the logo. Every now and then, of course, you know, ECU is our alma mater, so we want to see the Pirates do well. Yeah, I know I'm not really supposed to, but we're the flagship station. You are the I flagship. Say, I, I've produced enough of the games. I feel like I can wear You can get away game. with it. Yeah. So what did y'all think of the atmosphere, first off? Uh, we'll, we'll get into this discussion about ECU basketball and how they can turn it around. But it feels like, and part of this is Charlotte's success for sure, but it feels like Charlotte – is really excited about being in a conference with East Carolina in football and in basketball. And I mean, it was their first, their biggest crowd the past 10 years, guys, was 5,500. They had more than 8,000, 8,400 people there. Again, a lot of that, the success, but they were ready for ECU. They had signs for Mark Adams, so they had done their research. I mean, they were all in. And, uh, you know, you give them credit. I guess there's a jealousy factor if you're an East Carolina fan because you want to see Minji's like that. I think if ECU won seven in a row in conference play, it would be like that. But what would you make of the atmosphere? I thought it was absolutely spectacular. I've been to a lot of basketball arenas in my last five years with 
just my relationships with other people, and I've been just about every arena you can think of in the state and mostly down the East Coast. And, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, but also that place just had a nice, crisp, clean feel. It had that, like, freshness feel. It was just everything was crisp about it. And you can tell that they redid it because when me and you were walking down to the media room, the bowels of the place are still old, but as soon as you get out of there onto the floor, right. it's very new. It's very nice. And I also think that <clears throat> the administration at Charlotte is striking while the iron's hot. I mean, look what you got there, and look what you got with the uh, football team with uh, Biff with Biff Pogie being his, being in the student section in the whole the game, section. and just and just the excitement he brought in the fall. He was it's, tweeting after the game. He's like, he's just he's carrying Charlotte's carrying that over to basketball. And I mean, they're just striking while the iron's hot. And I mean, what a what a time to be alive if you live in Charlotte. Phil, if you're from the Charlotte area, how much buzz was there about like Charlotte basketball growing up? And I don't know, talking to your your parents or friends back in that area, like returning there for the game. Kind of, is there like buzz about Charlotte ECU, or just just more Charlotte basketball? Like, what is the what is the the mix there? Well, as a kid, they had Bobby Lutz, and they were going to the NCAA tournament darn near every year. There was a lot of buzz. You know, Bobby Lutz was a celebrity when I was a kid. You know, when you'd see him out, and people were, you know, hounding him and stuff, same way they would any big-time coach. And uh, then it lost its luster, and I think there's a lot of buzz around the athletic department as a whole. Yes, they want the EC rivalry. I remember when we played them in football. As bad as both teams were, they were really pumped up for that game. But I think Biff has brought in some of that, just kind of to Kaysen's point, with all his involvement with basketball and being the student section, and it's kind of revamped this program from a from an athlete, or I shouldn't say this program, I should say this athletic department as a whole and the fun around it. But you know, they were ready for this game. They were like, hey, you know, we, we beat y'all in football. This is an in-state rival coming in. They're ready for this to be a rivalry. They want to hate us. They want us to hate them. They want, you know, the Tyler Hansbro getting punched by Gerald Henderson type games. And I would like to hope that ECU fans are ready to be that as well, but I, I don't know. If ECU fans are really ready for that because I can guarantee you we're not going to have 8,000 when they show up in basketball in a couple weeks. And I'll also say this. Um, for these smaller schools like Charlotte, ECU, Wilmington, compared in comparison to the big three in the triangle, it's very hard to hit on coaching hires. And Charlotte's hit. Charlotte's caught lightning in a bottle with both of them and in feel, this past year. It feels like, I mean, they lucked into this Aaron yes. Fern guy. I mean, yeah, I mean. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. You have him on your staff yeah. for five years. He turns into this. And he's, you know, we sat there for his post game. I was impressed just kind of with his demeanor. A lot more laid back than, yes. uh, than most coaches, but it works. And I don't even think Charlotte is that talented, but the sum of their parts is good. ECU, as we transition to what the Pirates can do, I, I don't know what to make of this team right now. It's just, it, it's kind of a mess. It just feels. Like the on court chemistry hasn't been there from day one, and I feel like the talent is there in some regards. Now, obviously, they can't shoot the basketball; that is a major problem. But I feel like the pieces just don't fit together real well. They have not played together offensively real well. And uh, you know, you're sitting here at the mid mid conference point at eleven and twelve and four and six in the league, a little over halfway with eighteen conference games, so eight conference games left. And uh, I don't know, Kaysen, where does this team go from here as we kind of transition to the discussion of, you know, can they turn their season around and how do they do it? I think I'm going to answer this just how Coach Schwartz would do is just take it day by just take it day. by day. Just got to go day by day, and I think this week break is huge. I do wish that. I mean, they had to play 10 conference games without a break. That's pretty brutal. 
I wish they had this break before, like Charlotte did going into the game. But, I mean, look, this team does not have an identity, and you're not going to find an identity with your record and what you got, what you have left. But, I mean, I don't know if it is a talent not mixing or the personalities not mixing, because if you look at the floor sometimes, there are chemistry issues. Sometimes the ball is not where it needs to be. And then especially when the defense are rebounding, sometimes there's four people trying to get one rebound. And I mean it happened on Charlotte multiple times. And just and when and when that happens they really start to bicker at each other. I mean, me and you've seen it all throughout the year that they bicker at each other. And and look, we could be reading this wrong and that could just be frustration because of what's going on. But I definitely think that this team was not built correctly with the personalities and talent that they have. And I feel like they like they still play hard. Like you know, you come off uh, that bad loss to USF, and like they brought the energy. I don't think it's an effort problem necessarily. And I just think for some reason it's just not fitting together well. And guys, here are the here are the shooting numbers in conference play: thirty eight point six percent from the field, which is well below average. Twenty seven point six percent from three point range. I mean, that has got to be you know for the season they're just under thirty percent, but. 27% in college basketball from three-point range, 70% from the line, which is uh, below opponents are shooting 76%, by the way. And then they are getting out-rebounded as well by three in conference play. And the assist numbers are down, you know, clearly due to the shooting, four compared to their opponents in conference play. So I don't know, Philip. when like offense is the easy answer, but like it's kind of hard to manufacture and create offense midseason, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no trade deadline. You know, if this was the NBA uh, and you would go, you know, we were kind of talking about before the show, maybe these guys aren't, this roster isn't totally constructed like a defense-first roster, but they play with a defense-first mindset. You know, Coach Schwartz came in with the mindset to build what Tony Bennett had built at Virginia and play 40 minutes suffocating defense. And you can do that if you have enough offense, but this team doesn't seem to have enough to play at that level because when they do let up those little runs, because basketball is a game of runs, they cannot match that. But yes, to your point, if you don't have those guys on your roster, there's nothing you can do. And that's why all these people are like, oh, we got to get rid of Schwartz. No, give Schwartz that offseason to say, hey, look, I realize that I can't build what Tony Bennett built at Virginia or what Pitt was in the mid-2000s. Let me go out there and, and still have my identity of defense first, but let him go out there and get some scores, get some guys. If we just had one guy who was a dead-eye shooter, if he was left open, he was making it 80% of the time on the outside, this would be a different story. And Quentin, I don't know if he can quite be that guy. He can be a guy you don't want to leave open, but he's not the dead-eye shooter. And like you said, you just can't, you can't just – walk over to a guy and say, snap your fingers and say, now you're good at offense. It's not how it works. It's guys you have to get in the offseason, and it's just how this roster is constructed right now. There's nothing you can do midseason. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's double down on the defense and try and play more 40 minutes of suffocating you know, basketball like Tony Bennett's team would or what it is. I mean, that might be the only option, but you know, the definition of insanity is continuing to try to do the same thing and get a different result. So I don't know what the answer is, but to your Kind of to, I, sorry I went off on a tangent, but your original question, can you just manufacture offense? I, I don't think so because I just don't think we have those scores right now. All right, let's, uh, we got to get another break in, so we'll do that here in a second. Brandon Johnson, by the way, is shooting 31% from three-point range in conference. We'll see what his injury is. No other pirate besides Ezra Asar and also, 
Let's see here. Uh, yeah, Ezra's shooting 33%, but on six attempts. And then Jaden Walker shooting 37% from three on eight attempts. So no volume shooter is shooting above 30% in conference play from three. That's a problem. Uh, Jack Dover says, hold up to say Biff is a good hire, is jumping the gun. I think he's just saying, like, and I want to speak for you, Casey, but, like, the excitement yes, that he brings. Yes, I'm not talking about the on-field player. Now I'm talking about the excitement he's brought in that program. Because, look. There is a lot more excitement in Charlotte's football program right now than there is ECU, and they had, and they, and did they, they make a bowl game last year? Yeah, it's because of all because of Biff. Yeah, I know a lot of donors, a lot of high up donors, and they are pumped. They love yeah. hanging out with them. They love the way the fa- fans interact with them. They love the way the students interact with them, and it's just it's bringing an atmosphere. Now I get atmosphere doesn't win games, but to the point of what we were trying to make earlier, they've got an atmosphere in in Charlotte right now that unfortunately we don't really have right now around anything but baseball. Uh, and then last comment before our break, Bobby Howard, our guest tomorrow, says, where does the season go from here? Question mark. The dumpster. That is where it needs to go. Season is a major disappointment. Wonder if I will ever learn my lessons setting expectations for ECU basketball. Great, great question, Bobby, because we're going to talk about what expectations should be for ECU basketball. And it's a complicated one, but we'll get into that after this timeout. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday. This is going to be our final segment of the show. Hey, we're going to talk ECU basketball. We talked a little bit. You know, we didn't even really offer any solutions about how the Pirates can turn it around. We more just vented. But, you know, when you can't score, you got to get healthy, all that sort of stuff, and then maybe just find a way to run some different sets offensively but when you can't shoot it it makes it tough to run a set so anyways we'll maybe get into more of that as the week goes along i want to have more of a big picture discussion because always here look ecu basketball has always been bad we should never expect it to be good blah 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 but those same people don't understand that east carolina is investing more and has invested more than it ever has in ecu basketball specifically when joe dooley was hired Mike Schwartz is making $900,000. That is twice as much as what Ron Sanchez, former Charlotte coach, was making. I don't know what Aaron Fern is making, but I guarantee you it's not $450,000. So ECU budget-wise is probably in the middle of the pack in the American in basketball. They're, they're spending a lot more than they're, than some of these teams that are lose, that they're losing to. So like my, my question is, Kaysen, how do you – but then the problem is ECU has never won in basketball. So like how do you elevate the expectation – when the program is never won, but you're trying to invest more, it's a tough question to answer. But uh, it's just, I don't know, it makes me scratch my head. But I think that in today's day and age, it is so much easier to get better quickly because of the transfer portal. And you don't need, <clears throat> excuse me, and you don't need to recruit like you used to because look at the portal. You can flip your team in a month of May and June in two weeks. And and I agree with the staff. I think it is good. You want to recruit locally. You want to get and see guys. Of course, every school in their state wants that. But look, at a school like East Carolina, how far are you down in the pecking order in terms of getting the best North Carolina guys? Because look, you have to go through Carolina, Duke, NC State, Wake. And then as of right now, if you're a top recruit, would you rather go to Wilmington or Charlotte or ECU? They're not going to pick ECU, sadly. And that's just that's just the way it is. Got the sword into the stick. But I mean, at this at this point in Schwartz's 
tenure here. He needs to just go blow this up and go on the portal and do that. And and look at a head coach like Penny Hardaway. He gets a brand new 10, 11 guys every year. Look at look at a guy like Kevin Keystone Road. He got eight new transfers this year, and it just can happen quickly. And I think he needs to do that. And I think, too, like high school recruiting is still important. I think junior college is an area ECU is attacking. I know they're attacking right now on the portal. Because with the portal – you got to have some NIL money, too, to get some stuff done in college basketball. Or you just got to be really creative, strategic. And I think they're going to have to find that balance of, hey, you do need some NIL money. I think they'll get some, but you're not going to be able to outbid a lot of teams. So you got to find that balance. you got to go deep, and you're going to have to find some, some uh, diamonds in the rough. Yeah, and it's and it's first year possible because, I mean, there have been multiple times this year where me and you watch the games and we're like, how did Campbell get this kid? How did right. USF get this kid? It's just like there are these guys, but also it's so hard, and you need good talent evaluators. And I think that is another thing, speaking of evaluating, Swartz needs to go back and evaluate the staff. And, I mean, he needs to find great talent evaluators. I'm going to reiterate it. He needs to do that because that is the name of the game here. And, I mean, it's just like if you look at some of the top programs, some of their transfers come from smaller schools that needed a bigger opportunity, a better opportunity, and look, they are. And I think it's definitely possible for ECU because of the portal. The portal's changed every aspect of sports in every single athletic event, and it's possible to change. Sorry, another thing that's hurting ECU, though, is when you walk in that gym, there's not a lot of banners. When you go to Charlotte and you see how many NCAA tournament appearances they got, when you go to Davidson, you see they've been to the Elite Eight, and you see Steph Curry's jersey hanging in the rafters, Wilmington, same thing, that hurts, too. Is it time to take down the Are You Next banner in the practice facility where it has like, it's like 19, it's like NCAA tournament appearances, 1973 or whatever it was, 19, or 1993. And then it's like, Are You Next? I almost think you're better off just not even, not even having those up. See, it's not see, enough to have them up. See, see me. Cause I, like if you walk in, you're like, I wasn't even born. It was like negative 12 the last see, time they went to the tournament. See, I, see, I, I, Totally understand that, but most of these college kids coming in are not basketball junkies, and they don't really like take meaning to that. I think that a good recruiting pitch is like, look, if you come in, you can take care, you can take control of this team, and you yourself can put that banner up there, and you put your mark here, and you be one of the first. But I think, it, that's a great, I think that's a great recruiting pitch. I can see it both ways, but if like I'm practicing daily and I'm looking up at those banners, I'm like, man, ECU hasn't made the tournament in thirty something years. Like, am I really gonna make? Am I gonna be the I one mean, to make tournament? I don't know. Like, I just feel like you can look at it both ways. Like, if you get a dog who's like, I'm gonna be the one, and that's obviously who you want to recruit. But I don't know, man. There's there's so many. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, they need some dogs. They need some dogs, man. You need some dogs, and everybody's like already. You know, you always got to recruit local at ECU. All these North Carolina high school coaches and. AU coaches say this. Well, what did ECU do? They took a local kid and Corey Faison, never played a single minute for the program. Bobby Pettiford, Cam Hayes came back home as transfers. You know, I, they've they've had their moments, but overall, I think they realistically probably haven't met expectations. So, like, there's your three North Carolina kids. Not right. that the guys from overseas have lit it up. You know, there's got to be clearly, no matter where you find them, you got to find talent and ability, but. I think we overblow the whole recruit local thing, too. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this is going to be a little stretchy, but I think that recruit locally does not need to apply to ECU. I think it need, I think it applies to the big three, big four up in the triangle area because, look, they're so down the pecking order, you're not going to get those top guys. 
So, I mean, I mean, it's fine talent. Fine if, talent. If you got a guy in your backyard that you feel like is a sleeper, take him. And I don't blame them for taking to Corey Faison. I thought it was a good move. It just didn't work out from a maturity standpoint. Um, I don't know, man. There's just – there's so many ways. But, you know, you look, you recruited overseas too. That hasn't exactly panned out to this point. So they just got to find – they got to do a better job of finding talent. You look at it right now, the best players in the program, R.J. Felton, was a Joe Dooley signee, uh, Brandon Johnson, Joe Dooley signee, Ezra was a Mike Schwartz signee, uh, and then after that, there's just a big drop-off. And you made the point earlier, you look at all the transfers they've brought in, Quentin Abunje, Tennessee, Cam Hayes, NC State, LSU, Bobby Bedford, Kansas, Jaden Walker, Iowa State, everybody's transferring down. Maybe it's time to start trying to find a guy who up transferring up who's scoring a lot. <clears throat> Your thoughts yeah, on that? Me. I think that that is a major point of um, emphasis for this program because, I mean, and me and my friends have gotten in a major dis- major discussion about this. What do you think is better? A, per- a player who has been at the high level, hasn't got the opportunity and coming down, or do you want a player at a younger level, maybe, maybe, maybe like a NC Central, UNC Greensboro, Asheville come up. What what Phil Alex Phil Alex you first. What do you think is better? Players coming down or coming up? Which would you rather have? I'd rather have a guy coming up who's had success. Me too. Who's, who's I agree. Had, yeah, content in college basketball. I agree. And you're not gonna hit on all those guys, but like I feel like if you can score, you can score. Like that's why if a, if a guy's averaging twenty five, twenty points a game in JUCO you know, yeah, he's not going to average that in Division One, but I feel like there's a good chance he's going to average that. You know, double figures, or he's going to he's going to have a a way to score the basketball at Division One. If you can shoot, you can shoot. Yeah, exactly. The, the rim's still ten feet high. Three point line's still the <laughs> yeah. same level, and it's still nineteen inch diameter rim. And uh, so Justin Wright, speaking of recruiting locally, Farmville Central product, he was at North Carolina Central a few years. Uh, I heard he wanted to come to ECU. ECU ended up, you know, obviously they got Bobby Pettiford, you know, and, and I don't think anybody blames him for taking Bobby Pettiford. It was a great move on paper. And uh, right, right now averaging 10.6 points per game for Loyola Marymount, and he's a guy who could have came to ECU. 48% from the field, 83% from the line, you know, three and a half rebounds per game, two assists per game. So he's just a guy that could have helped. Yeah, he's a smaller guard which you already have a few of those, but there are a few guys he could definitely be playing over on this roster. So, I don't know. You just got to add some scoring. And that's that is the name of the game. You have to be able to score. It's just all there is in college basketball. You need to be able to score. Because, look, if you look at defensive teams in the country, there's only two, Houston and Virginia. And, and they look, get elite talent. And they, have, and they get the elite talent. And, look, even when they hold these opponents, they're still scoring. They're still scoring a lot of points. And, look, you just have to score. I can't get it enough. And, look, I think at the major point, this staff needs to reevaluate itself first and then evaluate the talent. All right, we will continue this discussion probably in a lot of weeks to come because as we get into the offseason, we'll have more big-picture talk. We'll also talk with Bobby Harward tomorrow. Kaysen, appreciate you, big man, for coming in and uh, running through the train to get here. So uh, thanks, Philip. as always. We will be back tomorrow, 12 noon, with Bobby Harward, and we'll continue this discussion and more on ECU Athletics then. 
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 94.3thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcast.